Play that funky music, dead boy. I don't want to scare anyone. But I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. DFM fam to episode 35 or week two of our Halloween 25 8 366 month. Last week in episode 34, our mom sweater origins episode, that one was a uh, prelude to this episode. We discussed the original Friday the 13th, uh, not the 2009 remake that did not quite hold up for Carrie and I. Right, Carrie? Yeah, it was, it was okay. So we're going to move on. We've got Jake the Midnight Traveler joining us for this episode. The last time Jake joined us um, was in episode 24, our last week of our first ever Beach Party Bonfires and Blood Month, where we talked his favorite werewolf flick, Joe Dante's The Howling. And against Carrie and Jake's wishes and better judgment, they indulged me in a fairly lengthy chat about The Howling 2, or what we can call boobs and orgies behind the Iron Curtain. Welcome back, Jake. Thank you for having me, Case. How you doing, Carrie? I'm doing good, Jake. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. You know, it's got out of the hundreds here where I am, so it's actually starting to feel nice to be outside. Happy to be here. We uh, we won't uh, brag about it only being like 58 degrees outside, but I uh, figured I'd throw <laughs> that out there. <laughs> well, hey, I'm, I'm happy somebody's enjoying it. Well... Look, before we move on, and, you know, I always get us off track, can I ever, after that last time we were together, can I ever get you guys to do, like, Howling 3, 4, 5, 6, or 7? Hell no. Or any combination? Can you go straight to hell, Case? (laughs) Hey, I think you said that the last time we talked to Howling. I'm seeing an emerging emerging trend here. (laughs) Yeah. For good reason. (laughs) Okay, well, listen, let's dig in then. We're going to try to do this episode under two hours, okay? Um, The task at hand is what we like to call this episode the unofficial 1984 Crystal Lake Massacre trilogy. Yes, nowhere else on Earth, at least I'm fairly sure, uh, will you find a horror pod that's covering Friday the 13th Part 2, 3D and final chapter all in one episode. And I promise you both. Well, no, I won't make a promise because I probably won't be able to keep it. I'm going to try not to ever squeeze in three movies into one episode ever again. Um, But if you're just as nutty as us, or at least myself for the Friday, the 13th franchise as we are join us because we're going to look at why these three Friday, the 13th films are talked about as a loose trilogy that takes place over not quite a week or less. 
Um, we'll do our usual segments, but the three of us are going to vote on things like favorite characters, kills, and more across different weird, fun, relevant F-13 categories. Uh, Carrie, before I go any further, let our folks know what we do here at DFM in terms of spoilers. Okay, so this is a spoiler warning. Just for those of us that are joining us for the first time or you need a refresher, we are full spoilers for our movie discussion and review pod. It is safe to bet that a lot of people listening to this have watched pretty much all the Friday the 13th. And for those of you that haven't watched any of these, or only the first or some, whatever that may be, we really envy you. Spoiler hounds, get settled in. And the ones new to the franchise come back to us after watching, the, after watching because this is going to get fun. Yeah, and detailed, much yeah. to your dismay. <laughs> this is the most fun marathon to watch, in our opinion. It's pretty high up there. Um, so I'm going to lead timeline and, and the questions here. Um, we are, dear listener, going to go through Crystal Lake, 1984. Um, there's a very specific timeline that most... I can't sit here, Jake, and say that it's canon. But I know a lot of people agree with this timeline. Um, there's trilogies that are much looser than the idea of these three films being tied together. So I feel like we're we're fairly safe in putting these together. Um, there's things like the Fulci's Gates of Hell trilogy. Fans have even made up trilogies, <laughs> trilogies like the Fucked Up Family Game Night, where they put Hide and Seek, You're Next, and Ready or Not together. There's the the unholy trinity of folk horror that consists of the uh, Witchfinder General, the Blood on Satan's Claw, and the Wicker Man. So mm-hmm. I feel pretty comfortable leading the way here and saying that we can do this um, within the confines of what a, a trilogy can be considered. So I, I look, I know we're talking Friday the Thirteenth, <laughs> Jesus, and Lord knows we can spend time poking holes in every one of these especially the latter Friday the 13th movies. But we're going to let this Crystal Lake timeline be our guide, um, go through different topics along the way. And Jake or Carrie, feel free to interrupt me, make a point. I'll pause for questions or things that you want to mention. But right away, we are going to start off with Friday the 13th Part 2. And this one was released on May 1st, 1981. Not going to spend a ton of time nose diving unless you guys have a point you want to make into Steve Miner or the writers. Um, there's definitely a lot to be said um, in the state of the franchise and who was involved more so going forward between Cunningham and Miller. We covered this a little bit in last week's episode where the the latest uh, in the legal battle that's pretty much over. Um, this one starts off if we're going to start off this timeline sometime in 1979 shortly after the events of the first film which apparently according to a lot of fanboys part one starts in april okay so now in part two we're a couple of months afterwards camp blood is obviously condemned because of the events of the first film and a point that i want to make 
and Jake, I don't know, have you read any of the Friday the 13th novels? Uh, not the ones actually from the movies. Um, there was this novelist um, back in the 90s. He wrote under a pen name, my apologies, and if you can remember this guy's real name, please let us know. He wrote four novels under the pen name of Eric Morse. Okay. They have nothing to do with um, – they don't retell any of the uh, events that happen in the movies themselves, but those I did read. Read those religiously because I was too scared to watch the movies in sixth grade, but that changed eventually. Okay. So according to the Friday the 13th Part 2 no- movie novelization, um, within a few months after the events of the first film – um, the movie doesn't show this, but our survivor Alice returns not just to the town, but the camp itself to try to rid her demons, calm her mind, find some kind of peace after what she had gone through in part one. And in the novel, unfortunately for Alice, someone or something knew what she had to do to survive and witnessed what that thing was. And this person takes it very personal. Uh, Alice gets in the car um, after she visits the location where the beheading happened, drives back to the house that she's renting in Crystal Lake. And that's where um, we start off. We all know now, and again, guys, we're way past the spoiler warning. um, The creators cashed in um, on that boy that Sergeant Tyranny didn't find at the end of part one. Yes, Jason Voorhees played by both Steve Dash and Warrington Gillette. Although, um, an FYI, everybody, if you haven't listened to episode 20, where we interview Kimmy, it's a Kim script, check that out. She's actually friends with Warrington Gillette. Um, Jason Voorhees, as far as part two onward is concerned, is alive and ready to take his revenge and what is considered the launching pad of the franchise moving forward. As of right now, Mommy, Pamela Voorhees, was dead. Alice was responsible. (laughs) Jason witnessed it. Saw her come back. Bad choice by her. Uh, He's good at tracking. He's good at surviving. He's good at prowling. And he finds that car of hers. And that's where the intro to this movie, Part 2, begins. So, again, we're only a few months past the events of the first film. We get what I love about sequels in the 70s and 80s, a really good recap about what happened in the last film via Alice having a nightmare about the event. Um, You remember her paintings with Steve Christie? He's like, you know, did I look like that last night? Or did I look like that? And she said, yes, you did last night, uh, where he proceeds to um, be creepy. But right now, it's not the same type of paintings. Those paintings have gotten darker. She's getting weird calls. Her cat scares the living shit out of her, and she's trying to make tea. (laughs) She opens up the fridge, and voila, something happens. And I will say, this is something that has been replicated very recently in a huge franchise. Uh, They had this scene in the beginning of the new Scream 6 movie. So, Pam's rotting head, which Alice is very familiar with, is sitting inside of her frigidaire. A hand reaches around as she screams, 
and there's an ice pick that goes right through the temple. And then we have our very courteous Prowler, who takes the tea off the burner. <laughs> and now Alice, our survivor, is dead. Now, guys, I'm going to start off the questions right here for each of you. Um, we'll just keep alternating. Um, Jake, feel free to go first. Um, throughout, excuse me, let me back, let me back it up a little bit because I want to, I want to make sure, um, that I get the right questions asked. Okay. So how, first of all, how is Jason alive? Um, did he actually drown all those years ago in 57 and he's brought back somehow from like the curse of the lake? Or did he not actually drown? What's your take on that, Jake? Well, there's two answers. The one answer is he never died. He disappeared. Um, you can't, because we know it's established in the first movie that Pamela Voorhees has lost her mind. We can't look at her as a reliable source of information. You know, she went crazy which is why she did what she did in the first movie. So that puts a little bit toward the whole, well, maybe he didn't die. Maybe he was just lost. She assumed he drowned. She went crazy. They could never find him. And then it's thin. It's very, very thin. <laughs> but if you have suspension of disbelief a little bit there, you can you can work through it. The other reason is, the first one made money. Of course he survived. That's why he's alive. He's there. We need somebody. <laughs> it's just strange because, yeah, you've, you can tell that these guys really didn't anticipate um, the success. They didn't anticipate that it would be what it would be. And so when the money talks, you know, it's like, hey, we want another one. We killed off the killer. We want another one. Well, <laughs> damn it. So, yeah, you got to – it is one thing that this movie asks a lot of the audience right from the get-go <laughs> moving forward. So, yeah, um, he survived. He The mother went crazy. Um, why Jason never went back to his mother or tried to reconnect, I don't know. Uh, something could have happened. And we don't know if there's a curse on the lake. We don't know of that even to this day i mean guys am, am i off on that carrie what's your take on that no i i personally think I, i'm not one to believe in the curse of the lake for me i do think you know mommy dearest did not witness the supposed drowning so taking that into effect did he actually get caught in some kind of current and dragged down where he could have had amnesia and he's good at surviving and has those survivor skills? I mean, that's part, you know, that could be an answer. So I, I think the simplest answer for me, and you know, God knows I'll get off track real easily, is that I think you're both right. And what I mean by that is that, like you said, Jake, it's asking the audience and i think it's it's taking it one further you fill in the blanks well what do you think happened if that's what your theater of the mind says and that's what makes it creepy for you is filling in the blanks 
then we're good keeping that a question mark for everybody. I'm I I I don't mind filling in some of the blanks, but like I said, this one's a little thin. <laughs> and my whole thing was okay. You're not going to explain it now. I'd like you to explain it later. Which, as you'll probably, if you guys keep listening as we cover more of these, you'll find out they never really do. And it's it, it's a little it's a little point of contention for me. It's a little frustrating for me because it's like, all right, um, he can't be stopped. Why? Yeah, and in this Simon Hawk Part 2 novelization, what's really odd is that it does describe Jason shortly um, after he did drown, apparently, um, and that he looks, he catches a glimpse of himself for the very first time in his life, and that it describes something that looks like worms crawling on his face. But here's the thing. You can go in the water or the mud or whatever. You can have creepy crawlies on you. So does that allude to him being undead and he's like, you know, got the maggots crawling on him because he's undead? You know, who the hell knows? That might be a little bit of revisionist history because, you know, the author sees maggots on Jason in part six. Whatever that case may be, I, I think we're still left with a question mark. And yeah, we're we're straining to come up with what exactly that is because it's it's on us it's on the fan but there's so, a good reason why there's maggots on jason in part six which we'll cover later on yes. it's, a, it's a location thing wink wink so you guys yeah so you guys already covered how in the hell pam did not notice that he was alive i carrie i tend to like agree with your line of thinking there that you know <laughs> she didn't really see it happen um other than people telling her that it happened where she saw him splashing and struggling and she went into a fit of rage. And, you know, there is a point to be made about Jason not following up because one, not only is for lack of a better phrase to use these movies terms, a mongoloid, I know that's not PC, but he definitely has developmental issues. Um, a lot more than that, but just, the whole trauma part, I mean, yeah, he actually could have the, any kind of asphyxiation or whatever. Look, before I go into, like, the medical dictionary, um, any other thoughts, Jake, around Pam not noticing that he still was out there? Uh, pretty much the fact that, you know, she, she kind of lost her mind when she lost Jason. Yeah. yeah. Three, she just, three... yeah, yeah, she sorry. just lost it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... And and now you both probably recall, because it was talked about quite a bit, um, Adrian King was supposed to return as Alice um, for the entirety of the film, but she did not because of a real-life stalker. What do you think about that that intro, given that information and the thoughts about her potentially returning to, she's supposed to return to the prequel series on Peacock as another character? Well, I I can't really speak to what may happen on the Peacock series because it hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. um, I think it would have been an entirely different part two with Adrian King there as her character. I loved her character. Um, I think her not having a bigger career is one of the tragedies of um, of, of these of this series. But I think, I guess, with them trying to 
putting her in the beginning and get rid of her as easy as they do, I think is an example of them saying, all right, we're going to level things up. You survived the first one. Well, hey, you're not going to survive this. You're done. This killer is angry. This killer is deadlier. I think that's kind of what they were trying to I think it was kind of a, a throw in the glove, a toss in the gauntlet right there. And yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, just having Adrian King's character continue would really have changed a lot of stuff. Yeah, and it's not the last time that they would try to get somebody to return, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. Carrie, what are your thoughts about, you know, we've got a little bit more to cover in two, but with the stalker and how that, as a woman, how do you view that scene, given that information? Uh, I think it was probably in her best interest to not have more publicity, given the situation, and that the fact it was very quick, it was impactful to the movie, and then, oh, okay, new set of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if that was happening to you and they came back to you while you're in the thick of the stalker thing? I mean, let's talk about the bravery for a hot second that she had going, willing to come back. Yeah. I don't don't know if she's contractually obligated to come back in that moment, but. Yeah. We never saw the paperwork on that. Yeah. Yeah. I I would speculate. um, And this is just speculation. That had to have been extremely scary. And I think you can see it. And I think it's a real reaction when she gets that creepy phone call, you know, in the scene, in the movie, before she's killed. Yeah. The the terror in her eye. I think that's real. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like a little too, it's too close to home. and That's playing out on screen a little bit. Um, So now that Alice, unfortunately, has an ice pick through her temple. And the tea is not going to burn the house down. Can I make a note that from the original movie into part two, there's a theme with Alice in the stove. Oh, yeah. Where she's making coffee in the original, and in this part two, she's making tea. Yes. That is interesting. You pointed that out whenever we did the last episode. Um, Somebody said, hey, get her at the stove again. For some, or it could just be a coincidence, but that that is kind of a little quirk. Um, now let's move on to five years later. Okay, now we're starting the meat of the discussion, which is 1984. Um, I still laugh that this is supposed to be 1984 because if it were, it would look a lot more like Final Chapter, which is actually 1984. We don't have the heavy notes of the MTV generation in this movie yet. This still feels like the bleaker late seventies, early eighties. We start the film with Jeff played by Bill Randall and his girlfriend, Sandra, Marta Kober, a a character that we're going to return to a little bit in part four in a certain way. For those of you who have not watched these yet, Um, he's getting his brand new Bronco. According to the novelization he worked and saved up for, uh, the past year and a half. Um, uh, it's towed as a prank by their friend, Ted, Stu Charno, um, who we love and once bitten. Um, the, and just one of the guys. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Good call. Good call, Jake. I forgot about that. The um a lot of Stu Charna love out the gate. I love it. The second in command counselor. And he is the official prankster of this group and slash jokester. He likes animal jokes. Yes, so boss. Yep. What's that, Jake? Yes, boss. Yes, boss. <laughs> so yeah, right after okay, um, well, really, right before that, they run into a reoccurring character, which is a huge deal in a Friday the 13th film. Uh, Crazy Ralph, played by Walt Gorney. And, of course, he's all worked up again. <laughs> um, he's kind of, you know, about town, and he sees these two kids uh, at the phone booth, running, uh, then running up after their truck, and he kind of tracks them back down to Crystal Lake again. Um, now, all three of them, they're in the, the Bronco with Ted. They're making their way in said Bronco to Paul Holt's counselor training program uh, at the Pakenak Lodge that is about to open. Um, they're on the road, and there's this massive tree log in the middle of the road that they have to move. And in my opinion, at least, it looks like Ted's a little bit disturbed or unsettled by it. Um, he doesn't want to tell Jeff and Sandra about the stories that he heard. Uh, and he jokes, oh, you don't want to hear it, man, especially before lunch. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the gist of it. Um, eventually, they get there. They get to the counselor training center. We get to meet Paul Holt, played by John Fury. Um, not long after that, in comes in the Red Beetle. We've got the other assistant trainer and the psychologist in the making. Our survivor girl, Jenny, played by Amy Steele, who I know we'll go into more later, but I know all three of us love her. Um, Some of us more than others, even. Case. Yes, yes, <laughs> indeed. So much so that I was very fanboyish when I saw her in uh family ties episode where she's the much older college student to uh, Michael J. Fox's uh, Alex P. Keaton. But uh, mm-hmm. that's for another episode. We've, um, <laughs> we've got the other, we've got the other counselors. We've got Kirsten Baker um, as Terry and Carrie, I haven't subjected you to this movie, but she's actually a very blonde woman in gas pump girls. <laughs> okay. And Midnight Madness. Midnight Madness, Fox, and <laughs> the star of American Werewolf in London, Mark Naughton, oh. okay. and Stephen First from Animal House, and Eddie Deason. Okay. Hey, rounding off the counselors, Russell Todd as Scott, Miss Brown Panties herself, Laura Marie Taylor as Vicky, Such who is is on. My list to see at Creature Feature Weekend. Fingers crossed we can make that happen. Um, And we've got a Marlboro man in our cast. We've got Tom McBride as the arm wrestling wheelchair bound Mark. Um, Now, I'm going to pause there on our timeline. Okay, so we're starting off 1984. Um, What I want to start off with, throughout the course of this film, I mentioned that log in the middle of the road. Um, we've got instances in this flick that make me question the knowledge of both Paul and Ted. Okay. Not only the log, but if we fast forward to the camp, the very, very now loved and famous campfire story that rivals the old man story in the beginning of the fog. 
Um, you know, at the end of that prank, you know, Stu Charno comes out with the spear and the caveman mask and whatever and the furs. Um, they say Camp Blood's off limits. And we've got Paul and Ted laughing and laughing off Jenny's questions, the psychoanalysis that she tends to do about Jason crying out for his revenge. You know, there's that whole sequence in the bar scene where she's like, you know, Paul, I'm serious about this. You know, imagine what he would be like, you know, a child trapped in a man's body. And, you know, Stu Charno decides to let do his best kind of alien popping out of his shirt thing. But, um, you know, a Jake, did do you think that Paul and Ted know of Jason or a Prowler's existence um, or were at least nervous because of the stories, you know, the old timers, you know, that, that Paul mentions, did they have more knowledge? You think that they didn't share with anyone? Yes. And yes, hundred percent. You can tell in the way they interact, the way they try to be dismissive and not take it too seriously. Paul's trying to run a business. Paul is trying, he's one of those people, and you see this type in a lot of horror movies or just any movies with conflict. No, this isn't happening. We're just going to keep moving on. And yeah, they definitely know something is going on. They definitely know there's something that they shouldn't tell the rest of the people. You can tell that they know that. The cop knows that he knows something's going on do they know exactly what it is or who it is of course not but there's no doubt in my mind that they at least paul knows something and he's not being a hundred percent honest in what he reveals carrie what about you yeah i i definitely feel that that same way i feel that there's something that, again, they're not saying, you know, they give each other a look or they're trying to scare the rest of the staff and make sure that they do. You know, why else would you say it's off limits other than the cop saying it's condemned? You know, that's a point to be made. It's off limits because it's condemned. Well, And he's got insurance. He's got to worry about yeah. safety and all that. Like that's his head, head counselor thing. You know, you could. You can make the very, in my opinion, weak argument that he's he's purely if you're if you're not using any critical thinking on this movie, you can say, oh, no, it's just condemned. They, they don't know anything. They're completely oblivious. Why go out of your way to say, nope, I don't want to talk about the story. Nope, we're going to make light of the story. I, anytime somebody brings it up. I mean, he even says that's the last I want to hear about Jason. Very emphatically. Yeah. Um, you don't do that and also make light of it if you're not trying to smooth something over. Well, and then you have Ted, which is from the area. So he would naturally know more than anybody. Yeah. So um, then B, my second part of this, uh, Jake, finally uh, at the end of this movie, um, we are left to wonder along with Jenny, where's Paul? Um, does he live and he just goes into exile knowing he's responsible, especially if he knew some things he didn't share? Um, or, you know, does he end up with Jenny and he's doing well or is he dead? And I, and I wanted to point 
out this fun fact. Um, you both have this little fun fact from the Collider article. Um, now, it still seems to me, given that the, what the Crystal Lake memory said, um, what what are your takes on on all of this? Because on the back of the physical media, per this Clyde article, there's Paul with his mouth agape as if he's killed. Um, it was said that that was just a pick pull from a moment when John Fury was goofing off. Crystal Lake memory says there's where's Paul and then the long lost scene of Pam's eyes opening after Jenny asked that. Um, Wait, Pam's eyes opening like the Pamela Voorhees head. Yeah. So there's, there was a, a moment that was left on the cutting room floor where when Jenny is getting wheeled away and she says, where's Paul? It cuts to the eyes opening on the head and they didn't use it. And that was supposed to be like, there's your answer to where's Paul. He's dead. Well, I don't really think that really tells us that Paul's dead. I think that just kind of just tells us that the eyes are opening and something. I don't know with, I'm happy they left that scene on the cutting room floor. My whole thing was, Oh, Jason got him. You know, um, Amy Steele's character, Jenny got knocked out whenever he burst through the window. Um, Jason and Paul had a fight. Uh, Paul gave it his the old college try and didn't 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 make it, you know. Uh, and then J- and by then, you know, maybe the authorities were already on their way. Jason had to make an escape, so yeah. I was from the first time I saw it. I'm like, oh, Paul's definitely dead. Paul's definitely dead. That's so, my take. Yeah. So. At this point, you know, it's actual Friday the 13th. This is supposed to take place in July 1984. You know, we, we just said it, the parts of uh, uh, part two unfold. Um, you know, we've got all the kills. And I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit. At the end, Jake, well, first let me ask you, Carrie, what do you think? Is Paul alive or dead? I think Paul is dead. Like you said, Jake. Jenny got knocked in the head, partially unconscious. You know, your mind can play tricks on you. And maybe she made up that whole scene about him carrying her when it was actually her body walked itself back to the cabin. Yeah. Well, now, Carrie, I'll ask you this first. So is that a dream, Jason, um, that we see? Or did he actually come flying through the window? I think you could argue it's both. It could be both. It could be that she's knocked in the head. She's dreaming like Alice when she survives, she dreams. I think you have that kind of link with the the surviving girls. You know, that they are dreaming of trauma and their minds are dealing with the trauma. Okay. So there's that. And it could be that he's coming through two and then the call like you said the cops are coming so he has to make a run for it mm-hmm. jake what what about you do you think that hillbilly jason is that the real look or is that a dream look i guess real him real him no i i took i took that scene to be literal 
He's literally flying through the window. He's literally attacking Jenny. He literally attacks Paul, literally kills Paul, literally escapes. And Jenny literally wakes up asking where Paul is. And Paul is literally dead. That's the way I look at it. Uh, I, I, I think the dream angle that, you, that you're bringing up, Carrie, is plausible. And, you know, it, it kind of fits in with how at least the first, th- actually a lot of the movies in this series have scenes pretty similar to that one. But my my gut tells me, nope, this was literal. This happened. He flew through the window. All these things actually 100% happened. Yeah, I I think it's a it's a fun kind of what if, you know, if if somebody wanted to do a graphic novel, you know, here's here's my take on that. I I think Paul gets killed, but I think there is a whole kind of knockdown drag out that we don't get to see. So that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even if it's just one page on a comic book, I would have liked to have seen that kill exactly as it played out. So I, I, I like as they're like, as they're taking Jenny's body to the, to the ambulance, there's like a body bag and you see Paul's arm dangling out of it, or Mm -hmm. they're still, or you can literally see parts of his strewn parts of his, his body parts strewn all over the parking lot. Yeah. Um, so where we're at in the timeline when the police, the responders arrive at Packenack Lodge and Jenny's taken to the hospital, we're we're one day later. A lot. <laughs> when Carrie, when you and I just rewatched this movie a couple days ago, this is a very efficient film. Um there are other Friday the thirteenth movies that are spread out over multiple days. There's a lot that happens in a very short amount of time. And according to this timeline, We've only gone from the big day of all the kills, Friday the 13th, to now we're just at Saturday, July 14th. So when Jenny is taken to the hospital, is wheeled off, presumably around this time, we've got a future character from Final Chapter, Rob Deere. He learns of his sister Sandra's death and starts making his plans for the Final Chapter. Um, Now, we all probably know by now, and for those that don't, Amy Steele originally was going to come back for part three um, where Jason follows her to the hospital. Um, Amy Steele in interviews has flip-flopped on this idea saying, oh, maybe it was my agent. Maybe it was money. She won't commit as to why it won't happen. Um, She's probably just being kind and being a professional, not wanting to point fingers. That's my take on it. The story's kind of changing sometimes. But she has said that she wish it could have happened and that she is keen to reprise her character officially. And she actually has voiced herself as Jenny um, in fan films. So you hear her voice. Um, if you dig deep enough, you can go find that. But um, do you like the idea of this alternate part three with Amy Steele in the hospital um, versus what we actually do end up getting? Jake, what are your thoughts there? Well, would it just be part of part three in the hospital where he, where she's being chased because they kind of already did that with the original, original Halloween two, you know, the killer comes back. So it kind of, I don't know. I think it would have, 
I think it would have been, <coughs> excuse me. I think it would have been good to have Amy Steele back, but, um, but actually having the whole thing set in the hospital, I don't think that was such a good, that'd be such a good idea. No, I think, yeah. Yeah. I, I personally, I think it's, it's better this way. Now I would love to see her reprise her role as an older Jenny where she is actually a psychologist and she's treating a trauma patient. When you get somehow that seeps into, Oh, Jason tracks her somehow. Well, and here's the thing guys. Remember Teddy boy. Well, no, not, let me be specific. Teddy boy, not Teddy bear from four Ted from two. He's still alive. He has that old dude at the bar next to him. Is there any after hours plays? Sure are. And so he's alive. And so they've also talked about Ted coming back. So if I get Amy Steele, I want to see Stu Charno. Charno, I can't even talk. (laughs) Stu Charno, too. I I, I want both. Because I I think, and especially if Paul's dead, um, that's a connection between the both of them. So I think that would make it even stronger. I can play a lot of what-if scenarios there. Do you think, and this is just to Mm. know, do you think that he purposely stayed out later to not go back through the night because he knew something might happen. Um, I think Stu wanted to get laid. <laughs> uh, I think Stu was having a good time. Stu is a guy who lives in the moment, and I just think he didn't want the party to stop. I just don't want the bar to fall down on you, honey. That's what I remember. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, he was Mac. He was kind of macking on the waitress there. Uh, using the Heineken bottles as binoculars. Um, I I know where you're going with that, and I think it's a good thought. I I do. I think that Teddy Boy could have been like the pranking, saying, "Hey, you know, I I don't want tomorrow to start. Um, I'm going to drink off any questions that Jenny might have for me. I'm just going to goof off and ignore it." Yeah, I don't think there's a malice bone in his body. I don't think, I think if he saw something, let me put it this way. If they are alive and they use these characters again with the same actors, I think you're going to have a very guilt-stricken Ted. Yeah. And and I think he's going to say something like, I wish I would have spoke out sooner or something like that. that that's yeah. what I think. Yeah. So, um, okay. Now, any other part two questions? Uh, from either of you or points that you want to make about part two? Well, I just think that um, it really leveled up in the kills. I think I, I just have to say it. Um, I thought Kristen Baker was punch yourself in the face. Gorgeous. <laughs> I thought Brown panties was a very close second. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. You have to appreciate the, the really good looking women they bring into these movies. And I thought, and I thought they really, not saying that any of the women in the first movie were bad looking because they absolutely weren't, but being a 13 year old kid, when I saw this for the first time, I was like, wow, these are some really good looking babes. Hey, you know what? I, I can't disagree with any of that. And I'm, I will take it one further and say the, the group as an entire group, is my favorite group of co-eds or teens, however you want to put those together, late teens, early 20s. 
late twenties, whatever their age may be, to me, they are the most likable group. If you forced me to pick a group to do these sort of things with out of, let's just say even the first four films, I'm picking the group from part two and they go even one further. Um, I mean, and we can get into this a little bit later, but like Vicky, I, I mean, the fact that she's just not some bimbo going from guy to guy, that she has genuine interest in our wheelchair, excuse me, wheelchair-bound Mark, um, I think that that speaks volumes. Um, I'd say outside of Jack and Marcy in part one, who have a very, very real relationship, and I actually think they really care about each other. We've got a lot of people floating around looking to get scored. And hey, look, Vicky is very aggressive in part two, but I think she's got there's like genuine care there. You know, I she's agree. she she's telling Mark like he's getting down on himself, and she's like that's bullshit, and she's talking him up and you know talking about you know we're gonna play for position that made me chuckle every time. Um, but I mean, she just when she made up her mind, you know, the wheelchair part, she didn't care. So I think we've got some high character people in this group. We do. Uh, so, um, for those that are listening, DFM fam, this is going to be, we're going to take a time out for our first intermission. When we return, we're moving on to Jason Voorhees in 3D. Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Because these are Jason's woods. And nobody leaves them alive. Friday the 13th, part 3. Jason, you can't fight him. Stop him. And now, you can't even keep him on the screen. Friday, the 13th, part three. When it comes to killing in Jason's woods, Jason will come to you. Friday, the 13th, part three. A new dimension in terror. It will scare you. Count on it. Okay, everybody, we are back from our first intermission. We are moving right along to Friday the 13th, part three. Or you could simply call this F13 3D. Now, we are coming back to Steve Miner as director on this one. And we're going to go right back to the timeline. Um, Just like part two. Wait a second. Is that the sound of a machete that I hear? (laughs) It is. Yes. Um, I I felt it was appropriate for this, um, even though where it's you're only hearing it, but yeah, I I was just going to say that's the last sound that I would hear. I wouldn't see it. (laughs) Yeah. 
So I, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. Oh God. Okay. I, I don't I don't know if this is like prepared for Jason or if I get too far off track, Jake is gonna come through the screen 3D style and slash at me with that machete. Little <laughs> column A, little column B there, Case. A little bit of both. Okay, oh shit, now I'm sweating. Okay. Listen, okay, timeline. We've got a recap in this part three of the ending with Jenny and Paul. Again, this is like the pre-internet days reminder. Okay, there wasn't like, oh yeah, let me go back and watch this. People had to wait a while to see the next movie. So they needed that refresher, um, where I like to call the Rocky II refresher. Um, but that that night, Jason, this time played by Richard Brooker, um, he, he kind of hulks up after being revived. He kind of goes Mr. Clean with the bald head, which I respect. And he makes his way to a convenience store where I can safely say I wouldn't buy anything from. Uh, because the proprietor uh, or his rabbit had their unwashed hands and mouths over just about anything that they sold there. Uh, after Jason grabs some of Harold's clothes from the laundry line, um, and when I say Harold, I mean Harold Hockett, to be complete, played by Steve Suskind, we get some interesting 3D effects, I guess, of a pole and a snake that causes Harold to run to the bathroom where he doesn't wipe his butt or wash his hands afterwards. Just FYI. Um, Jason, he murders Harold and his wife, Edna played by Sherry Moggins. Um, We've got additional 3d effects happening there with coat hanger. Um, We get this after all that, um, happens with the with the uh kind of the re-up of what happened in part two we do get that neat little news broadcast telling us what happened the night before um we are now after harold and edna are disposed of and uh those proprietors of the convenience store are dead we are now the very next day we're on sunday july 15th so we're 24 hours after Jenny gets wheeled to the hospital. Uh, we've got Chris Higgins, played by Dana Kimmel, and five of her friends were going on a weekend trip to Higgins Havens, picking up Sheldon, played by Larry Zerner, who has kind of become this unofficial legal expert for Friday the 13th on Twitter, um, now that he's a real-life lawyer. Um, and the girl that should be expected to get along with Shelly, even though she's never met him, doesn't matter how he acts, I'm talking about Vera, played by Catherine Parks. Um, along for the ride in this awesome van that rivals the A-teams is Andy. <laughs> it really is a cool van. It is. Um, it is Andy, played by Jeffrey Rogers, and his woman, Debbie, played by Tracy Savage. Um, important to note, dear listener, if you didn't hear certain dialogue, maybe you didn't know. But Debbie, that character is pregnant. And her and Andy will enjoy the guest room at Higgins Haven that does not have a bed, but instead they'll get close in a hammock, taking long showers that steam up the house and walking in the hallways on their hands. Um, and I, I don't know why I noted this, but another one of these 3D things that I wanted to mention, one of Andy's character traits is he plays with a yo-yo <laughs> instead of just walking mm-hmm. on his hands. So I'm going to pause right there now that we've kind of been introduced to most of our new group um 
fun fact about Edna Carey, Sherry Moggins. Um, she was married to David Caruso at one point. And Jake, I wanted to mention this to you. Maybe you heard this. Um, uh, John Fury, who played Paul Holt, was actually really good friends with David Caruso at the time. And hmm. so um, he actually was on the set um, for a lot of at least like the first half of Friday the 13th Part 3. So you, you you had Fury running around set because, you know, his his buds, David Caruso and his wife, Sherry, who played Edna, is on there. So I thought that was a little neat thing I wanted to that add. That is neat, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's kind of cool because beforehand, um, Fury was doing a lot of commercials. He had never done horror before. He never watched horror. So Minor actually, before they did part two, he took him to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So that was kind of like his only research into horror. Hmm. Um, he didn't even watch the first Friday the 13th because his whole thing was he just wanted this. He didn't care what happened to the first one. And he made the point in an interview. Back then, people weren't thinking like this was a sequel. Like, no, this is just another Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, no connective tissue. So I just wanted to throw that out there. That was his strange. <laughs> his whole, yeah, his whole approach. Because to this, to this day, mean, if you asked him, he, he he still he doesn't care a whole lot about it. Sounds like he didn't really read a lot of the script. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, our Sherry Moggins, who plays Edna, um, she was once married to the guy who was the Aussie character in Chuck Norris's Missing in Action too, that gets his brains blown out. Okay. Oh, yeah. And then uh, also married to a Jeffrey Scott, best known for his role in General Hospital. He did like 20-some episodes. So uh, Edna is more important in Hollywood horror making uh, than you realize. Um, So here's a question, and Carrie, I'll ask you this question first. Okay. Who do you think the older Cheech and Chong-inspired characters, Chuck played by David Kadams, and Chili, Rachel Howard, who are they in relation to the rest of this group? Because it's a bit of an oddity for me here, guys. <laughs> I feel like maybe they're the ones who rented the house. No, no, no. That's Higgins Havens. That's oh. Chris's family. That's right. Yeah, that's um, yeah. She's she's the uh, she's the uh, in for that. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe. <laughs> she's poking me, Jake. Okay, what? Maybe they are like an aunt and uncle or the older neighbors or something. <laughs> so you don't know. I don't know. Okay. Jake, do you know who they are? Uh, I always assumed um, they were brought in just as like comic relief to lighten things up, which a lot of people like to do in these types of movies. Um, I guess that's the one answer. The other answer, the connective, the the critical thinking here, like I had to do with part two and how Jason lived. Um, maybe they're the drug connection. Let's just be honest. (laughs) That's what I, that's what I thought. It's like, here's the, maybe they're like the cool RAs at most. We won't dive any deeper into (laughs) Chuck and Chili. That's what I thought of. Like they've got the good dope. Yeah. That's, that's as far into that as you got to go. (laughs) so now okay we're gonna go back to the timeline um excuse me um so i i know i'm skipping way ahead um you know eventually we know jason is going to off all of these people 
as well as not just the people that arrived in the van with her. Okay. We've got Chris's on again, off again, boyfriend, Rick played by Paul Kratka. Um, And we've got three members of a motorcycle gang featuring Fox played by Gloria Charles, who was, I didn't know this until I researched it or didn't remember was in Brewster's millions and uh, national lampoons, European vacation. Um, but she was, had, who was she in European vacation? Was she one of the stewardesses? I that is a really good question. I honestly did not note it here because um, I think I know who she was in Brewster's Million. She was the girl that Richard Pryor tries to get with in the bar. Gotcha. The okay. Okay. So for anybody listening, go on a deep dive on Gloria Charles and National Lampoon's European Vacation. Um, I'm almost wondering. I'm I'm just guess guessing. That she's a stewardess or she's in that club that Rusty's in. I don't know. Um, got to look that up. So we've also got another biker who, in the Dying for Midnight podcast, is kind of in our Hall of Fame. Uh, we've got Ollie, played by Nick Savage. We discussed him as one of our favorite horror movie bouncers in the Fright Night episode, along with Ernie Holmes, part of the Steel Curtain. And we've got Kevin O'Brien, who plays Loco, who's also... I forgot about this. He's in the Warlock movie. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So during these metal stages that we're in of the 1984 massacre, Jason dons the infamous hockey mask for the first time, thanks to Shelly. Um, that one's been talked about quite a bit, but for those of you that are new, no. Jason has not been along since the first movie in terms of a killer. And no, it was not always a hockey mask. So yeah, a lot. And got to remember in the first, in the first appearance of Jason in part two, it's a sack with one eye hole. And it actually looks a lot like um, the quote unquote mask that was used in a little movie called the town that dreaded sundown by the Texarkana moonlight murders foreshadowing foreshadowing people yeah carrie i don't think you've watched uh that it's great i i really enjoy that movie that that one's got a docu horror creep factor to it um so he gets the mask we've got honestly i'm surprised people don't talk about it more um other than f13 fans Uh, that fight scene um not just with Chris, I noted this. You know, we've got this elongated, nerve-wracking final fight, but Ollie, the biker guy, comes back to help in the end. Yes, he okay. does. So, um, what happens at the end of this? I absolutely love this moment. Uh, we've got a moment where he lifts his mask, Jason. Um, if you recall, dear listener, or Jake and Gary. There's that moment in this movie um, where Chris is explaining to Paul that a couple years back, or excuse me, not not uh, not Paul, uh, Rick, uh, that she was in the woods and was attacked by this man. Um, so that comes back at the end of this movie. He lifts the mask to say, hey, remember me? And she says, it's you. You you can't be alive. You know, after she already chokes him um, with the rope. Note that eventually Chris axes him to the face. Um, and I also wanted to note, for some damn reason, 
that every time I typed Chris in this episode guide, I typed Christ. I kid you not, Jake. I literally kept typing Christ every time into this episode guide. And so, of course, I had visions of Jesus versus Jason <laughs> going on in this in this episode. Heaven so, and hell. Heaven and hell. I don't know. I had some kind of theming going on in my head, apparently. Um, what I want to say is that this movie ends on Monday, July 16th. Chris has a similar dream after taking out Jason, supposedly, to the one that Alice has from the first movie, only this time, instead of Jason coming out of the water and the lake, we've got some really bad-looking swamp. <laughs> that Pam Voorhees worm-written swampy corpse comes out of and grabs her. You see, like, the big, long worms all over her. Um, at the end of this film, the police drag off Chris, and she's not in the daze, and she's not asking where anybody's at. She is completely hysterical and cracked at the events that transpired. And so <laughs> let me ask this to end Friday the 13th part two is boyfriend, Rick, Jake, is he an underrated douche? You know what? I, he, he that's what you want to think when I think you first see him on the screen, but I think he genuinely cares and he's, genuinely trying to make a connection um with with the uh, with the main character but she's pushing him away i think he was he was a good dude who i thought was frustrated yeah you know i think he really did care about it like legitimately but um yeah it kept getting iced out and i but i could understand why he was getting iced out i mean she went through a very traumatic thing and you know and, you know, may, I could understand, you know, that she was a little bit mistrusting as well. But, you know, it's one of those things where if you don't let somebody in sooner or later, it's going to be harder to move on. Uh, Kara, I'd like to know what you'd have to say about this. Yeah. Is he too pushy, too understanding or just the right balance? I'm going to answer I know this you... at a later date. Okay. Okay. So she's got some feelings about Rick. You've got okay. some really strong feelings and you're holding them for later. I, I'm afraid she's going to unleash Jake. <laughs> Me too. Well, I, like I said, the, the, I, I just thought that, you know, of course, you know, any guy is going to always have a little bit of a motive, but I, a, upon reflection, I think he really did care. He really did care and he wanted to find out what was going on. But I think he was, he was at least a little bit insensitive because he'd probably never been attacked in the woods by a, mongoloid maniac and left for dead so he doesn't know what that feels like i don't know but i think i think it's it's kind of a split but i think he was more um i think he was more um i think he was more trying to get through to her but that's just me yeah i so i think he was a little on the pushy side to your point of him being a little insensitive but it, it is almost like, how could you expect anybody to relate to that kind of trauma? And it's like, she's only seen him whenever she comes to the area is the vibe that I got. So they got a little bit of space and she even tells him like, hey, you know, <clears throat> I haven't seen you in a while. I'm just getting back. Just, you know, let's take it slow. Give me some time. And I think at that point he did get the hint. Yeah. He started just trying to have fun again with her without 
being too pushy, you know, gives her the piggyback ride and um, he does bring it up from time to time. And I know you're going to expand on this later. So Jake, um, to keep this thing moving, you spoke about the incident, you know, Chris is paranoid throughout this entire film, given what I had mentioned uh, about what happened two years earlier and what you brought up again. One of my favorite Friday the 13th quotes, and I mean the quotes in all of the films, is when they they park the, the car, you know, right before the lights go out. She tells Rick, you know, he, he, the quiet can fool you. And then we get the flashback scene to the assailant, who we know is Jason. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, Carrie. Does Jason only try to kill her or does he attempt to rape her? Or, excuse me, rape her. See, I never got that impression ever before you even mentioned it. So to me, if you're thinking like Jenny, if you're Jenny, Ginny, sorry. If you're thinking like her, if he's a boy trapped in a man's body, would he even have that capacity to attempt to rape? Yeah, that's a good point. So for me, I think he's just trying to kill her because she she sees him. So isn't this connected? Jake, what do you think about that? And what do you think about, I'm going to have a follow-on thought to what Carrie just said. I 100% um, agree with Carrie. With what you she agree said. with Carrie? Okay. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think that Jason has that gear. I don't okay. think he has the gear for desire. I don't think he has that. He is just, see it, kill it. He's angry. He isn't all there. No, I think he was definitely trying to kill her. I, I'm 100% with Carrie on this one. Okay. It's interesting that I think there is some more connective tissue here to the previous entry. Because if we're in Jason's shack and we see um, what Deputy Winslow sees, you've got um, Alice's rotting body, five-year-old corpse laying there and you've got terry's body that he lays in there and people have always over time especially in the old imdb days have said see he's taking their bodies back he's using them over time you can make the the counter argument like no that's the shrine you know let's say he gets to chris and kills her that could be chris's body laying in there to to pamela's shrine um so i i tend to agree with you guys but i the rape talk on that that moment has been around for a while no uh the shrine thing was good it's like here mommy i got them for you here they are they're gone are you proud of me Mm -hmm. yeah and i was just about to make that same point jake so okay so we we're in agreement he he's there to kill bring her back as an offering He, he wants mom mommy to be proud mommy's approval yeah and now she only remembers waking up in her bed. Jake, how do you think she gets back there? Somebody found her in the woods. Somebody, you know, might have been approaching while Jason was about to finish her off. And Jason had to split. And they came across her. And, you know, the human mind. It's it, it's fascinating, and there are some times where the human mind can experience something, but the human mind says, nope, we can't process this. We don't have a room for it. Um, we're just going to pretend like this did not happen, and we're just going to pick back up when things get a little bit better. I mean, 
I have gone through a personally in my travelings, what have you. I have gone through small amounts, very small amounts of emotional trauma like that, where it is genuinely hard for me to remember. Something that Chris went through in this movie, oh, that's such a grandiose thing. You know, of course, you know, oh, she woke up and she was in her bed. That's that totally tracks with what I've what I've what I've read about when it comes to massive trauma. Yeah. That's a good point. And because <laughs> if it was her parents or her brother or whoever from her family that discovers her and brings her back there, they're gonna be doing a lot more than just ignoring it and hoping that she gets better. So it so there's no argument to be made that it was it was family. I mean, we start this movie off. She's trying to convince everybody that she's got every right to feel the way that she feels. And so, she absolutely does. Exactly. So we are talking to something a little bit more lighthearted. Um, <clears throat> back to this being not only part three, but this is 3D. What is your favorite 3D moment, Jake? Um, is it some of the head-scratching goofy stuff with Harold and Edna, something like the yo-yo or something with one of the kills that you prefer with the 3D? Well, it's got to be the kills. Um, I remember kind of chuckling with the eyeball heading to the screen when the head gets crushed. Yeah. But I think probably the most impressive for me was we see Jason make his first kill with the mask, with the spear gun. Yeah. And takes out Catherine Parks. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I thought that was kind of just, that was the most impressive of the 3D stuff there. Yeah. I, I don't know why just the um, the hot poker, the fire poker, really, when you're watching this in 3D, you can almost feel it, like, searing near you right before it goes through her body. Um, I just really like that. That's my favorite 3D moments, the hot poker. Um, and, and of course the, the eyeball, some of the goofy stuff <laughs> that, that, that I've read about the yeah. yo-yo, the yo-yo, the broom, <laughs> the snake thing is kind of like a fun, cheap gag, but the, the making of this movie, them, you know, they, they, the actors made a lot of comments about at a, at one point they were so fixated on using this 3d lens that they created and they were just getting people like, okay, when you do this, throw your wallet at the camera. You know, they were they were so fixated that they didn't even care about the performances at that point because they were just trying to think of any and every way to use this 3D, um, which was super popular in the in the early eighties. But um anyways, Carrie, what about you in the three D? Because you've got a completely different experience with this movie in three D. So we actually tried to watch this movie in 3D, Jake, with the 3D glasses, like Case bought actual 3D glasses. Yeah, the blue, no, the, well, no, the Blu-ray came with yeah. the glasses, yeah. And we tried, and I tried. I get pretty bad motion sickness. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I actually had to take the glasses off because it made me sick. 
Oh, I can I can understand that. Yeah, I've I've heard that before. I've heard that quite a bit. Yeah, so I I actually could not finish watching the movie in actual 3D because of that. So yeah, me, 3D is not my thing because it makes me sick. So yeah. I, I'll just add, I had a feeling afterwards. It didn't give me a headache or made me sick, but you know, you go to the eye doctors and they dilate your eyes, and your eyes feel really funny afterwards for a while. I had about a good hour or two where. My eyes were bugging out a little bit, um, but it, I mean, I I would watch it again in 3D. Um, it's I would watch it more often not in 3D though than in 3D. Um, if I'm sitting there having a marathon or a group of people, <clears throat> I wouldn't bother with the 3D. I, I don't think it's necessary for it to still be entertaining. Um, so guys, that brings us to our second and last intermission. When we return, DFM fam, we will skinny dip. One last time into the frigid waters of Friday the 13th. This time, we're going to be talking about the final chapter. before you have felt the terror known the madness lived the horror but this is the one you've been screaming for Friday the 13th the final chapter Jason is back He moves like a shadow, dark and silent. Sorry, you changed your mind? He never utters a word. He doesn't even seem to breathe. Where the hell's the car, Scrooge? He simply, mindlessly, mercilessly, kills. But now, Jason's reign of terror is over. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Friday, April 13th, is Jason's unlucky day. Okay, everybody, we are back from our second intermission. We are going to be talking about the last part of our 1984 Massacre timeline. This time, directed by Joseph Zito, who actually, that's another missing in action reference that we could talk about another time. Um, We are now at Monday night, July 16th. We've got Jason, this time played by Ted White, and the Ted victims, consisting of Chris's friends and the biker trio at Higgins Havens. They're being sent to the Wessex County morgue. There, Jason revives. Kills a corner that is the Super Bowl, not superbly, of self-abuse. For those of you who didn't pick up on that uh, mispronunciation, we've got Axel, the aerobicize, or however you want to pronounce that, um, horny coroner, played by Bruce Mahler. And we got a nurse, Nurse Morgan, played by Lisa Freeman. And after he gets rid of those two, Jason escapes the hospital. So. In part four, 
the one thing that we we got to mention, we talked about Tom Savini last episode with the original. He comes back after a self-imposed hiatus to kill off a character he believed should have never existed past the, the makeup work he did on the boy in part one. Carrie, out of the original or the final chapter, which Savini effects work do you prefer? I prefer the original. You prefer the original work? Yeah. Okay. Jake, how about you? Uh, I, I'm biased as hell. We're now talking about my absolute favorite Friday the 13th movie in the entire series. Okay. So I I have to lean towards this because I believe that it was a progression. I believe it was a step up. And I want to put this out here right now. He might have been able to – it was possible he could have survived the injuries that he had at the end of part two. He wouldn't have been able to use his arm too well because of the wound to his shoulder. Um, but at after what he went through at the end of part three, Jason Voorhees should have been deceased. The mm-hmm. neck trauma, the, the, the axe wound to the head. This, to me, I think was the first time where we're like, all right, he is more than human right now. He should not have survived this. What the hell is going on? Why is he not dead? Yeah. So that, and and that was my question. You already answered my question. You know, do you, Carrie, do you think he's alive, dead or something in between? Oh no, he's absolutely dead. You can't survive that. Well, yeah. and even the, speaking of Savini effects, look at the color of Jason's skin in this movie. He's got a grayish corpse like cover or excuse me, color. And guys, I'm going to take a quick time out right there. I got to hit the bathroom real quick. You guys can uh, talk about me while I'm gone. It won't take me too long. It'll be All quick. Right. Okay. All right. So it's obvious, and he's going to edit this out, right? Yeah. Well, it's obvious that his childlike penis just is not giving you anything. <laughs> 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 But, yeah, but no, uh, but no, like uh, no talking on the on the movie stuff. No, this is no this this really is my favorite. This really is my favorite, and um, yeah, I it, you definitely couldn't have survived the axe to the head. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you that um, he there, and, and I think this is where you get the step up from, and you add on the supernatural aspect. And where I think this is where, like, the curse comes into effect. But that's the thing, though. What curse is there? It's just like, they haven't talked about it. Why is the area cursed? What is the deal? And that's why, you know... And we were watching um, the 2018 version of Halloween last night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife is is one of the few people that I know who really does not like the Halloween movies. Really? He does not like them. Wow. And, you know, I... And I get frustrated because, you know, as much as the Friday the 13th series asks a lot of the audience, Halloween asks a lot more because you have not one, but two retcons. You know what those are, right? Yeah. That's... You know, you, you, you know, I got into that series around the time part six came out. 
And then I'm like, all right, I got all this. Then Halloween H2O comes out, which I thought was great, but I didn't know that it was a retcon. Yeah, I I actually enjoyed Halloween H2O quite a lot. <laughs> Saw it twice in the theater. I I really enjoyed for me, I love character development. That is yeah. that is where I come from. Yeah, me too. And it's just like, all right, this person keeps coming back. This person stop will killing machine. Why? Why? I, I I'm I'm not really satisfied with the Oh, they just are. They, they just are. We don't need to explain this. Politely, fuck you. <laughs> um, so I'm just right. I'm just walking into this conversation, but <laughs> sorry, I, I had to run off like Harold yeah. at the beginning of three. <laughs> yeah. But but no, actually, you might not want to edit some of this out. We we did make a we made one crack about you, truthful as it might be. But we actually <laughs> <laughs> sons of bitches. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, let's just pick it up from from where we left off. Okay, yeah, so I I think Savini's work makes it obvious down to, like, the black and gnarly fingernails. So I, I, I think we're all in yes. Jason is uh, not... You cut out there for, for a second. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. So take okay. it from Jason's work, Savini's work. Oh, yeah, so I think... Really, we're all in agreement that Savini's work makes it obvious that Jason is some form of undead. He got the oh. axe to the head, as you were saying. He's got that gray, corpse-like colored skin. He's got the blackened, gnarly fingernails at this point. Yeah, where the uh, hell did those come from? I mean, I've, literally, I've always has, been curious about that. Yeah, Dirt. has no blackened fingernails in the movie that wrapped up hours before this one was supposed to start i sorry tom i think that one's a little bit of a slip up on your part that's a continuity thing yeah i i i like it i I think it would have made more sense to see like natural decay like discoloration you know or or or, you know we've we've got the discoloration on his um but what what are you motioning to me for what the fact that the dirty nails get infected and get, can get blackened. <laughs> I feel like you're diving too deep for me. No. I feel like, I feel like it's a big question mark and it's a very obvious thing. Well, that you sticks don't out. have nails. So how would you know? <laughs> That's right. No nails. Um, so before we dive too deep on Jason's fingernails. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cause then we could really like 30 minutes on fingernails here, but we're at this point when our horny corner and the nurse, okay, who has a headache, conveniently, uh, when they're killed off, Jason escapes the morgue, okay, undead Jason, let's be clear about that. Uh, we'll fight you on it. It's Tuesday, July 17th at this point. Okay, keep in mind that the events of Part 2 just happened that previous Friday. Um, so that lot has freaking happened between Part 2 Jenny and where we're at now. We've got a group of the 16s now. They arrive at the neighboring lakeside retreat next door to that of the Jarvis family, where we've got Mrs. Jarvis, played by Joan Freeman, and her two kids, older sis Trish, played by Kimberly Beck, and 12 year old Tommy, who's we all know is a pre Goonies and Lost Boys, Corey Feldman. They are currently chilling out after a supposed separation or divorce of sorts. 
Um, guys, we've got the teens. We've got Jimbo <laughs> Mortimer, actually, is his last name, played by Crispin Glover, um, who needs a little bit more than just B.J. Betty, uh, but is labeled uh, as a dead fuck by Teddy Bear, <laughs> played by Lawrence Monison. Okay, Carrie, you still have to watch The Last American Virgin, um, who carries around an invisible computer, taking its... <laughs> God damn it. I wonder what kind of computer it is. Maybe like an Apple II. He's taking taking its imaginary findings and making fun of nearly everyone around him with this computer. Um, but in my opinion, guys, he is secretly jealous of Jim's underdog abilities with the fairer sex. Uh, that's my take on Teddy Bear. Uh, we've got Doug, played by Peter Barton. Carrie, you've seen this movie. You might like him, folks, in Hell Night uh, with Linda Blair. Good That's movie. another... What's that, Jake? Good movie. Good movie. Oh, yeah. I love that one. That That is... a uh, Doug is another Friday the 13th steamy shower alum. That's how I'm going to... That's how I'm going to point out Doug. We've got Barbara <laughs> Howard as Sarah with a sweater, a brush, and a towel with a gnarly axe throwing death um she's in love with doug peter barton's doug and vice versa joins him in the shower they might be there's some kind of friday the 13th couple superlative i could come up with but they're actually that reminds me of jack and marcy a little bit from the first one they these two people actually are really into each other yeah uh, i yeah. think that's a very genuine relationship there um not just people trying to score so we've now we've moved on um, to Judy Aronson, who takes to freezing cold nighttime raft moonbathing as Samantha, uh, uh, and her man with a wondering eye is what I like to call the other Paul <laughs> with the backwards hat played by Paul Hayes. <laughs> so on his way from the morgue to his crystal water abode, Jason kills a stranded hippie hitchhiker played by Bonnie Elman, who is on her way to Canada. And she enjoys bananas, and she's mercilessly teased, specifically by you, Titty Bear. Um, I consider this group, Jake, I know this is your favorite Friday the 13th. I actually feel this is the least likable group of these three films that we're talking about. And let me say, let me add the caveat. If Teddy Bear was not in this group, the likability rating skyrockets for, yeah. for me. A yeah, lot no, of this I, is- I did not like the way what them... The, the, the hitchhiker kill. I do not like that type of teasing. That Same. actually is kind of a trigger for me. <laughs> so no, it, it's really mean spirited. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's there's other things, the other moves that trigger me a little more. We'll get to them later. But no, that I did not like. Okay. I really did not like that. No, it, it actually feels out of place to put it nicely. Um, very much out of place. Yeah, not warranted. Um, yeah. We are at now, we are moving on. After he kills, uh, unfortunately, our hippie hitchhiker, we are at Wednesday, July 18th. So this is where this one differs from the other entries. There, This one, things are kind of happening a little bit more spaced out in this movie compared, especially to part two. We've got Rob Deere comes onto the scene, who, dear listener, uh, is the brother of our Sandra Deer character from part two, played by Eric Anderson. Um, he runs into Trish and Tommy attempting to fix their car. Trish and Rob make an immediate connection. Tommy, who is purposely created as a mini Tom Savini type character, 
brings Rob, mom sitting on the couch, right? Uh, and all of a sudden, in comes her son with this complete stranger. Hey, stranger, let me bring you up into my bedroom. Um, mom's sitting there reading about the murders that just happened in part two and three. And all of a sudden, the stranger walks into her house with a gun. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he's packing. I mean, he's got the knife. He's. I mean, this this isn't just like some feeble person. This is a big dude that's walking onto the scene. Um, Haven't we ever heard of Stranger Danger? That's right. Especially when this movie was made. Uh, eventually, after a one-part slutty and one-part respectable, I guess you could say, set of Doublemint twins. And, and yes, they they were Doublemint twins. <laughs> Camilla Moore, uh, who played Tina, and Carrie Moore as Terry, go skinny dipping with our group of teens. They get down to Love is Alive by Lion with Christmas Glover's character Jimbo, uh, who, Jake, do you have a name for that type of dance, or was that just completely out of left field? Um, that's, I think what we have is just Crispin Glover being <laughs> Crispin Glover. Just put him in front uh, of the camera, give him his mark, put him in front of the camera, hit action, and just let him go. <laughs> let him be Crispin Glover. Yeah, I like that's, that. That's why you hired him. Let <laughs> him be who he is. Um. By the way, have you, Jake, have you watched At Close Range? That's been on my list for a while. I definitely want to check that out. That's Dude, yeah. yeah. Crispin Glover is highly underrated. It's a tiny role, but super, super creepy. Well, do you see River's Edge? No, I've not watched that. All right. Well, I'll catch up on that but river's edge he is the central character and um yeah he can carry a film no he he brings in he brings a very odd energy and intensity to what he does but you know if i think he's put in the right project he does a lot of really good things and i think he does very good in this jimbo's very to me jimbo's very sympathetic you know i you know, the first conversation he has with um, Teddy Boy is one that I think I've had with a couple of my friends over the years. You know, do I really have it? Am I really this? Am I really that? Yeah. So I I thought he actually, he, he was a little weird, a little awkward. But hey, who the hell isn't in those situations or at that age? So, no, I thought this was another example where he was well used. Yeah, I think he was yeah. very well used. Carrie, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, he's a likable character. He's probably the likable character in this movie for me, aside yeah. from yeah. Tommy. Yeah. Yeah, aside from the survivor types. Yeah, yeah in this group, that's going to be their neighbors for a few days. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, agree I thought Rob. I thought Rob was kind of a you know he was just trying to avenge his sister. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't out there to screw around. You know, he was. I think if that's kind of the character I'd be closest to, you know, I'm there because I'm tortured and, you know, da, 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 da. And, you know, I got to find, I got to right the wrong, but winds up ultimately getting his shit ruined. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, we're, we're at the point now in our timeline where, okay, the, the dance happens. Teddy bear gets exposed for being the poser that he is. Uh, after after he gets rejected, nobody's given Teddy Bear a kiss. So he's he, now he's stooped down to. And listen, I'm not knocking stag films. 
But I like seeing this non-likable character reduced to having be by himself watching stack films. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've got the vacation teenagers and Rob, as you started mentioning, and and apparently Mrs. Jarvis in this movie, Jake goes missing or is dead, depending on whether or not you've seen the alternate ending. Um, Yeah. I think I did see the alternate ending on this. Uh, Don't they, don't they find her in the bathroom? Exactly. Yeah. She's laying in the tub, like drowned or something. Um, and, and, and so they're killed. Trish gets pissed. I love that. I'm paraphrasing that line where Kamara, I'm going to give you something. And she's wielding that machete. Um, Tommy uses the old Jenny trick, uh, but takes it a notch further, uh, using those newspaper clippings, to research, a look that's intended to trigger Jason's longing for his younger years, making him let his guard down. Tommy goes a little overboard though. And Trish is in dismay, you know, die, die, die. And he keeps hacking at him and hacking at him. And okay, we're starting to allude to something going else with Tommy now. Um, Jason's now dead. He's buried in the Eternal Peace Cemetery. <laughs> Some say he was cremated. I, I I think this is a pretty easy thing to correct here, people. And, and and from this moment on, Tommy is in and out of group homes for troubled youth, mental institutions, excuse me, institutions, and we eventually catch, catch up with well, him. Well, we're uh, going to need to stop you there because now we're going a little bit beyond. So let's just reel you back in a little bit, Case. Yes, I agree. That's, yeah, yeah. We're, that's that's part five and six in Tom Matthews territory. So Carrie's slapping me too. I got, I got it. Okay, I'm going to stop. Yeah. Okay, yes. so... So, Jake, I'll start with you. Explain the scene with Gordon the dog flying out the window for me in the slow motion. It feels out of place to me. Is Gordon dead? Is he alive? What happens to Gordon the dog after the events of this film? Well, so wait, so he he's jumping out of the window or he's thrown out of the window? That I I don't know. I, I, I really honestly don't know. I think it's I, kind I think of it's, he was getting out of Dodge. Yeah, that's what I kind of did, did with that, too, as well. Um, I never really paid too much attention to that scene, to be honest with you. I, I didn't really think it was that. I don't think it was really of much significance to me uh, yeah. in terms of what was going on in the movie. It was just kind of, all right, well, well, there's that. <laughs> well, see, that's what I mean. It, it catches me off guard, and I won't spend any yeah. more time on the dog. Carrie, is the dog, the, the dog's okay? He just got the fuck out of there. <laughs> no, because really? okay. I think knowing the if a dog is attached to someone mm-hmm. they're gonna stick with that someone yeah yeah unless they're going for help then that's the only other reason why it would separate but that dog would fight to the death hmm. for a loved one yeah hmm. okay and um another thing that a lot of people um comment about was rob's death in the basement in the dark where you don't actually see it you hear him screaming like oh my god he's killing me um joseph zito um said the director that that was based on a real incident where there was a, i don't know if it was the kitty genovese incident where you know there was a person who was being killed they were screaming and nobody came to help them and joseph zito thought oh that'd be really effective to put in a horror movie and they put it in that scene and people laughed at it yeah <laughs> well it's <clears throat> I, I I totally hear why he wanted to use that. Yeah. Um, I, I just think like, okay, uh, it, it does seem a little bit out of place. I I personally, 
just think it's it's just a quirk, but it it's still like God to to hear actually somebody come to the cold realization that their life's coming to the, and thank God that Rob like he is the hero of sorts because he's still yelling to Trish get out of here. You know he's yeah. basically like yeah he's killing me, but I'm also I'm also kind of like the decoy here so you can get the hell out. Yeah. Uh, so that so that was a good even though it was awkward and people left. I, I I do appreciate it. It's got its place among yeah. the kills. And this um, also, and Rob's whole character is just showing the impact that Jason had. This is, it's a callback to the second film now. You're yeah. seeing just, you know, the wake of uh, Jason's destruction, which is why the kills get amped up here. The sex gets amped up here. The nastiness, I think, in this one really gets amped up here because these because Jason almost seems to be relishing in the kills at this point. You know, the other ones, you know, was more of just to get people out of the way or just eliminate them. I think with some of these, like you see him tear out the, uh, the electrical box, which puts the house in darkness. He's more calculating here. He's more, he's more vicious. And I think in Ted White's performance, you can really see that in here. And yeah, and I think having the people be not as likable, you know, kind of makes the kills more of like, ooh, yeah, oh yeah, Teddy Boy's going down, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, so, no, yeah, he, 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 he. I was just gonna say he does go from hey, stay the hell off my lawn, to okay. I'm going to take this one step further in three. I'm going beyond my boundaries. And now in four, he, he's really a freaking force of nature in final yep. chapter. Yep. He is. He is definitely the meanest out of all, out of all of them. Um, Carrie, are you glad that this was not the final chapter in the Friday the 13th franchise? Yeah, I, I do enjoy some of the other films <laughs> this is kind of like yeah it's good that there's more but maybe they're not as great jake what about you i i kind of feel the same way it's just this is why um and i want everybody out there to get this on record this is why i was the most nervous about this because these are the purest of the films for me two through four yeah same uh not knocking the other ones it's just you know you get this with sort of bands or musical artists, but you also get this with series of films. There's a moment where it's, it's really kind of finding its own way. And it really is what it mostly is for this period, you know, cause after this, they start tweaking with it a little bit, try going a little bit more here, a little bit more there. Two through four have a natural progression. That's just sort of, and it flows a little bit better. Which is why I wouldn't be adverse to us revisiting one of these movies in um, its own, even a mini episode down the road where we really take a look into it because these were released during arguably the golden age of the slasher, the early to mid 80s. And they really shine and, and they set a lot of the tropes that would eventually, you know, be carried thus forth in slasher films moving on. And, you know, and like I said, by this time, you know, the sex is really there. A lot of the, the stereotypes, the archetypes of the characters are really established. 
And I think that these three films really push that home. Yeah, I, I agree. So in, in the spirit of moving along and not diving into um, past, excuse me, the final chapter, let me just ask this, uh, Carrie, do you wish it was Corey Feldman moving forward as Tommy Jarvis? Or are you glad that you got to see different variations? I think I'm glad I got to see different variations Okay, for different reasons. Um, I think you needed an older yeah. Tommy. Yeah. How about you, Jake? Any quick thoughts on that? I kind of agree because, um, well, let's face it, um, <laughs> Corey Feldman had to choose between Friday Part 5 or The Goonies. And yeah. who other than Corey Feldman, you know, love him or hate him, who could have done mouth at that time? <laughs> Ser- seriously, I mean, yeah, I-, I don't think he gets enough um, credit as being a good of an actor as he is, even at that young of an age. But, um, but yeah, I agree with what Carrie said. You know, you saw him develop, you know, I think maybe the guy who played him in part five, whose name escapes me. I think he would have been good in part six as well, but you know, they brought in Tom Matthews, you know, more on his future stuff later. But, um, but yeah, I think it's good that they did. I think it worked. I think it worked. Okay. Now, Jake is, is Ted white. Is he your favorite version of Jason? You know what? It's, it's weird. Um, I think Kane Hodder is because he really tried to establish a character. And let's face it, when you play that character in four consecutive films, that does give you more clout and yeah. more of a reason to say, no, this character's mine. I think that um, a lot of what Kane Hodder did was started by what Ted White did here, mm-hmm. if I may be so bold. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't disagree with that line of thinking. Carrie, what about you? Who is your – because <clears throat> there's not only just the look of Jason, but his movements, um, just the general way about him. Do you have a, a favorite? I do. Out of the out of two, three, four? It's unconventional. It's unconventional? Okay. Um, I like specifically the scene played by Warrington Gillette where you see his him face breaking through, breaking through and the hillbilly look, yeah. the long hair, yeah. long red Good hair. <clears throat> I, I like that. I really do. Um I like Steve Dash from from part two. I like that he was kind of like the um, he was kind of like the Dick Warlock for Friday the 13th. You know, he wasn't the biggest guy. He wasn't the most imposing. But the way that his Jason moved and him being just kind of like the workman stuntman, that that's why I think that and he really got beat to shit. And just came back. I'm not saying that the other guys didn't, but there's been a lot said about Steve Dash. Um, and, and, and that's why I like him. He's my favorite. Um, so now, guys, we are going to move right along. These are going to be our final topics for this uh, episode. <clears throat> Real quick, Jake, what's your favorite movie poster out of two, three, and four? Um, here's the thing. My favorite out of any of them is one. We actually have a, we have a print of that on our wall here. Nice. Um, two, I think, cut a lot of corners. It was just too simplistic. Mm-hmm. Um, three, with the shower and the knife, I thought that was kind of cool, though I think that could have been a little bit more elaborate. Four is kind of cool with the uh, knife and just the imagery. I think I'll go with three. 
Yeah. You know, that, I like, that's, that's, I like that's stuff. my pick too. That's I like awesome. stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, but yeah, I think that, you know, making simplifying it way too much for part two after the awesome, awesome look of part one's poster was a real bring down. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Carrie's being different. Yes. <laughs> So I actually prefer part two poster, but But. specifically the one where you see Pamela Voorhees' head in the shrine. So she's picking the rectangular horizontal poster. I've never seen that one. Okay. It says the body count continues dot, 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 and it's a shrine to Pamela Voorhees. Can you guys show me that? Send me that? Yeah, definitely. So that's the one. I just sent it to you in Facebook Messenger, Jake. Give me a second. All right, yeah, because I was just going based on the um oh yeah, that's cool, but i'm that's just a scene from the movie. I'm yeah. trying to think of like artwork, something that was commissioned for the poster, yeah, that is really cool, but um, the Friday the thirteenth part two one that I know um is the one where it's just the outline and he has the hatchet, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just had to be different, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so yeah, that I mean, part J- I agree with you, Jake. Part three is my favorite. I-, I like a good movie poster that has a great scene featured on it. I can't disagree with yours either. Yeah, there. yeah. But I, when I think of a movie poster, I think of a piece of artwork created for that very poster. That's what I go. That's what I. That's how, That's what I was going for. Because if 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 I could have picked that then I might've picked that to be honest. With you. <laughs> that, that's, that's a really great image. It really, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Leave it to me to get a workaround. Yeah. yeah good yeah, for you. So, go. so, so we're going to move on to, we, we know what the taglines are given the posters. Um, but what about alternate taglines? Jake, can you give me one for two, 3d and final chapter? Like one that was actually there or one um, that just I one that one that you would use. Well, for part two, just when you thought it was over, it isn't. Yeah. And then um, that's the only one I think would, I, 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 I really got for part three. You know, there's a new dimension in terror, which I think that's been used for almost every other 3D movie ever made. Mm-hmm. And then part four, you know, thus ends the saga. But, you know, that shit never happens. <laughs> So that's why I never call, you know, it the final chapter. I call it Friday part four. It's not the final chapter of shit. So, <laughs> so Carrie, you, you came up with some creative taglines on your own. You created yeah. some. Okay. So let, let's hear it. What is your Carrie created alternate tagline for part two? So part two, Camp Crystal Lake is off limits, but we can't resist our fates. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. What else? What, what about 3D? This one's probably the weakest of the bunch. <laughs> I like this one. I'm reading it. Go ahead. Go for it. Come, <laughs> Come for the yo-yo. Stay for the tails. <laughs> so I'm I'm imagining them giving out some gimmicky promotion where there's a Friday the 13th yo-yo. I would I, I'd pick that up. I'd, oh yeah. There, there would be a there would be a. Uh, theater full of kids playing with this yo-yo and annoying the shit out of the old people. <laughs> All right, what's part four? What do you got for part four, All Claire? Right. 
Who knew making masks could be so much fun and could save your life? <laughs> <laughs> I like that one too. That's another thing I wanted to bring up. You know, um, if you if you were in a video store in the '90s and you were looking up the uh, Friday the Thirteenth series, and thankfully most any self respecting video store had at least the first eight. But I remember looking at the back of Friday the 13th final chapter and just seeing a, a photo of Tommy Jarvis just sitting at a computer with an alien head on. I was like, what the fuck is this? What is, huh? Like I was so confused. Yeah. And then you know, when you watch the movie, it's like, Oh, he puts on masks. But if I were in the, the marketing department, I would have not chosen that because it's a big photo. Like it's, it's the biggest photo of the three that I think were on the back cover. It's just like I would have picked almost anything else. <laughs> well, Jake, how about in the trailer for the final chapter, too? They show a shot of one of the other masks that's kind of like that brown troll looking type mask. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and when you first see that trailer, that's what I remember about Final Chapter. Not so much the artwork, but was the preview. And I'm looking at this and thinking, what is this creature that's in Friday the 13th? Yeah. As, as a young kid, I'm like, that can't be Jason that they're showing this ugly looking they troll thing. They did spend a large part of the movie specifically on the mass. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was his whole character. Yeah. But um, I thought that worked. I thought yeah. within the movie itself, I thought, oh, they're giving a little backstory. Oh, okay. I kind of get this, but just putting it as one of the, as the largest, um, as the largest <laughs> photo on the back of the VHS box, very misleading and confusing. It almost turns it into a meatball movie. <laughs> it's like, what's going yeah. on with this alien kid? Yeah, seriously, what what the hell? So, um, I, I'll I'll wrap this segment up with my alternate taglines. Part two, <clears throat> mine are a little more straightforward. Campfire stories can be creepy especially if you're listening on the shores of Crystal Lake. That's a good one. Uh, 3D, enjoy the thrills, kills, and terrified coeds that are joining you thanks to Paramount and the Mark's 3D Picks Converter. <laughs> because there was a lot going on, the fighting between the 3D com lens company and Paramount. Um, the, so that marketing, they really wanted that Mark's 3D Picks mm. lens featured on the poster. And, uh -huh. then, and then to end it, it says, save some popcorn for Jason. Because, you know, the whole thing was Jason's coming out of the screen at you. Yeah. Um, final chapter. <clears throat> the Jarvis family and their neighbors were enjoying themselves despite the local news. They're about to be tomorrow's front page story. That's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So we're going to move right along to what is your favorite setting from the three films, Jake? Uh... I actually think the setting in two is my favorite. It's adjacent and <laughs> kind of bummed me out. Back when I was rewatching these movies in um in Wallace Hall, mind you, I rewatched all eight of them um at the end of um the first eight at the end of two thousand three. Uh, I found out that the house from part two was on sale on eBay. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Do you remember the price at all? Oh, way more than my 19 year old ass could have afforded a <laughs> uh, couple hundred grand maybe okay. under but it's just i think somebody did buy it 
they did tear the house down, but rebuild another on the same site. So, oh god, because Pack Packenock Lodge, I think Carrie, that's our favorite too, specifically yeah. Packenock Lodge. Yeah. Um, they talk about returning to the wilderness, but dude, they've got a Coke machine, a really good looking record collection, indoor fireplace, foosball table, arcade shuffle bowling machine, plenty of room for checkers, chess, handheld video games, arm wrestling. That was a cool looking lodge. I love that yeah. thing. We got to figure they got to give them some place to go to when they're out of the woods. Yeah. yeah. I what mean, about you? I mean, it's the same for me, but for different reasons. Um, it's too close to Camp Blood. You know, you have the fire and the night out at the bar. It's my favorite, especially with Jenny discussing how Jason could still be alive and how he would react. You know, she's using her psychology to survive, plus the whole where is Paul thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so you like the bar a lot, too. Okay. So, Jake, is there something that stands out in two through four in terms of, like, favorite track or moment from any of the scores? Um, I think the, uh, well, I think any of Henry Manfredini's um, orchestrations are amazing. I think the disco theme for part three was, (laughs) (laughs) it just goes to show you how versatile that guy is. Yeah. No, I think any of the scores he did were great. You know, they really stand out. They have their own identity and, you know, I think he's a very underrated composer for film he's he's probably in my top five so gotcha yeah i i'm gonna have to go and i've mentioned this to you guys before the track from part two called alice hangs up um just from the intro that that's my favorite it creeps me out i could sit here at night and put on my waxwork record and just play that or just go to youtube um yeah that 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 whole scene and that track creeps me out um what about you carrie for me, I think it's after in part two when she's killed and then you have that, that opening, you know, again, it's the intro, you know, after she's killed. That's what I like. Gotcha. Okay. So we're going to move right along to favorite foreboding moment from a doomsayer and you can only pick one. Now, Jake, is it, is it Ralph from part? Ralph. Uh, I'm just going to say Ralph. Ralph, okay. Ralph was the best. Gotcha. Everybody else was second. (laughs) (laughs) Carrie, what about you, Carrie? I'm with you, Jake. I love Ralph in part two. Um, He failed in the first movie, so he went to the lodge. He ultimately faces his own fate, you know, doomed to death, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I I actually, I'm just going against the grain to bring up a point about our episode in general. I'm actually going with Rob Deere. um, and And I use him because... He's just one of the few points of the franchise where it's just this nice touch. He's coming back. He's setting up the dark tone of the film. Hey, I'm Sandra's brother from the first one. And I'm telling you, look at these newspaper clippings. Jason's out there. And, you know, hey, his body escaped from the morgue. He's not dead. He's going to kill more. So that the, he's my favorite doomsayer um, next to Ralph. Um, now, got a little goofier with these next picks. Just tell me, Jake, out of the three movies, who's your favorite prankster? Oh, it's got to be Ned. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was funny. He was likable. But he knew when to turn it off. Yeah. He didn't go too far. 
Shelly went too far. In fact, Shelly going too far was kind of a plot point <laughs> yes. because that's why, oh, come on, Shelly. I'm not going to believe that as his throat is slashed and he's gasping his last breaths. Yep. Carrie, yeah. what about you? So it, for me, it's Ted. He definitely knows more about the story than he's letting on. He's from the area. You know, he would know where the good spots are. Also, the actor Stu Tarnell is in one of my favorite all-time movies, Once Bitten. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going with Ted. I, I, I just like that um, the character, uh, I, I think he, you could have a good time with him and he would be reliable. Um, what about the biggest douche, you guys? Who's the, who's, I think we might have mentioned their name already, but just want to double check on that. Quick question. What was the guy who got hung up upside down in part two? Um, uh, what was his name? Uh, Russell Todd, but the character, the character's name. Yeah. Trying to think of the character's name. He's the one hitting on Terry. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen Baker, the absolute fox who walks out of the, walks out. Yeah. Scott, Scott, it's Scott. Yeah. He's, he's second because he also hit Kristen Baker in the ass with the, uh, the slingshot. And uh but no, it's Teddy Boy. Come on. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. See, and this is where I'm gonna get into it. Is for me, it's Rick in part three. He's pressuring Chris. He doesn't believe her. For for me, while he may have feelings for her, it's clearly I don't come see you after you know tr- i don't travel to where you actually live well that's a good point i wait for you to come to me where it's easy you know and you're there and it's you know he's taken you know your advantage yeah and for me that makes him the biggest douche of all because mm. he's not if he really cared he would travel to see her and not just wait for him to come for her to come hmm it's a very good point Okay, so uh, I, you know what? <clears throat> I'm just gonna go. I, I'm gonna go with Teddy Bear. He, he he's my biggest douche. I, I I just the hitchhiker thing and the way that he sexualizes women and the way that he's looking to score. He he'll, he's fine jumping from girl to girl to girl. Um, you know, he, he's really a bully. He, he really is a bully, uh, and he's a poser and. I just wish his death was a little more satisfying. So. You still there, Jake? Yeah. Yeah. Last one, the kills. Jake, you there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. Still here. Okay. So. Character. From the three movies that you think is there to score as often as possible with anyone and explain. And I've already given my answer. It's Teddy Bear. Same with me. <laughs> Same Don't with need you. to explain. That's that's what the guy's whole MO is. He bounces from woman to woman in that scene, trying to get whatever he can, you know. See, I'd be surprised if anybody else says, says anything other than him, because I thought it was pretty obvious. See, I'm talking about this from a different kind of background. So I actually think it's, Jim, he's so focused on it, and it's all he talks about. Now, he may not be going from woman to woman, but the only thing, his only objective is to score. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess what would have happened if the twins didn't show up? What, what would he have been like then? I guess is the what if scenario with Jimbo. Now we're going to move on from the horny toads to the survivors between these three films. Mm-hmm. Who is your favorite survivor girl or heroine from the 84 massacre? This was tough. It was one of those things where um, it was tough, but I knew who my definite favorite was because I think these are three of my favorites right here. I mean, all three of them show a lot of strength. They show a lot of development. They show a lot of courage. It's got to be Jenny. It's got to be Amy Steele because uh, I think she's one of the best final girls ever. Because think about it. Um, what are some of the tropes of a final girl? Um, well, you know, they're independent. Uh, very, they're, they can be very outspoken. Um, they're usually pure. And a lot of times they're not blonde. Well, let's take a look at Jenny. She is very outspoken. She is extremely educated. She is very, very, very intelligent in how she thinks on her feet with dealing with Jason at the end. But she also has sex. She also yeah. drinks. Mm-hmm. She also has fun. Yep. So she, to me, is she is both the archetype and the diverge and the divergent of the um of the character. Well said, Carrie, how about you? Yeah, it, it Jake, for me this is an easy one. It it's Jenny too. I mean, she is one of the most vulnerable characters of the franchise. She is so scared in the cabin, but she still fights using her degree and again to trick Jason into believing that she is his mom. Mm-hmm. It's she lets herself. Best. Yeah, <laughs> it's the, it's the best of yeah. the movie in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's that whole, that whole sequence where she's running away from Jason going through the woods, going from house to house, from cabin to cabin. No, she's. And like I said, um, honorable mentions to the final girls in parts three and four. I mean, uh, they each did. I thought Chris was very great. You know, she was somebody who recovered from trauma and, and I'm sorry, what's the name of the final girl in four again? Uh, Trish. And Trish, you know, she sticks up for her family members and just is ready to stand her ground. Um, but yeah, no, Jenny is a hard fought and well earned victory from Jenny here for me. Yeah, and and I that's my favorite too, and it's the, my favorite of the franchise. It might be my favorite. I mean, Nancy Thompson. If it's not tied, it's a very close. You know, one A, one B. I agree. Scenario. Yeah. So um, now that we all have picked Ted and Jenny as our prankster and heroine, um, if you could, uh, and you were going to Crystal Lake, who are the three people from across the three movies that you would handpick to, to come with you to a weekend in the woods? Jake, I'll let you start. Oh, Jenny. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so so Jen, you, we all have Jenny and Ted. Who are the other three people outside um, of those two? Other three. Okay. All right. Um, 
Um, I'd want Tommy Jarvis. He's a cool kid. Uh, and you know, let's face it, you know, we're nerds at our, at our essential course here. And, um, and I got to admit, I wouldn't mind having the twins with me. (laughs) That is a fun pick. Carrie, how about you? So I I went with Rob from final chapter because he's, he's again, He's looking to do some damage and out for revenge. And then Vicky and Mark from part two. Oh, that's a good one. You picked the, you picked the endearing couple. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, obviously mine's Ginny and Ted too, but um, I'm going to go a little different here than you guys with the um, additional three. I, I, I mean, I'm going to go with Rob Deere just for the point that you may carry, but I'm actually going to go with Peter Barton. As Doug from the final chapter, you know, he's he's our Friday the 13th shower alum. So I just him and the girl that he's with, I just respect the hell out of that character. Yeah. He even goes so far as to tell her, look, this is those other couples problems. I think we need to stay out of it. Mind yeah. our own business. They're totally into each other. I like the genuineness of that character. That's kind of my dark horse pick. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually. I'm going to go with Ali, the biker played mm-hmm. by Nick Savage from part three. I, mm-hmm. I think if there's a guy that you wanted to throw down, I'm, I'm imagining like Rob Deere and Nick Savage tag teaming Jason. Mm-hmm. So the, the, those are my picks. Yeah. yeah um, Rob almost made it almost made mine. Um, but yeah, the couple in the shower from four. Yeah. I liked them. And they also got really cute butts. Both of them. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of uh, cutie patooties as Tommy put yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so th- this is definitely like a you question scenario, Jake, and then Carrie, you go next. Okay. <clears throat> if you're going to Crystal Lake with the five people that you just picked, are you staying at a lakeside cottage, a cabin, somewhere in town, kind of like how Alice did in part two? Uh, I would go lakeside cottage. You know, um, I'd love to be close to the water but I'd love to have like a house. So, you know, play around in the woods and the lake all day, but have like a nice cozy house with a smart TV in it to watch them, some streaming services at night after the campfires are done. Little bit, a little mix of the both worlds there. Yeah. So Carrie, what about you? What would you do? Well, is, is this, okay, let me just put it this way. Is this as if you were in your twenties versus your forties? Like that's because my, answers would be completely different okay so well then let me let me re-up with that jake would there if you were these characters age would that be any different at 20 something versus you know 40 nope i nope. still want to you know have fun during the day and have a nice cozy place to stay at night okay now carrie exactly, what about exactly the same thing for me okay okay so I, I like you, Jake, I picked the Lakeside Cottage and that wouldn't change. You know, it's a little further away from Camp Blood. Plus, more space is better. I personally like to sprawl out. But, you know, again, space is there. Um, in my 40s, it would be actually really chill. It'd be fire, s'mores, outdoor movies, etc. Um in my 20s, it would have been a mixture of chill and partying. Uh, I would go for sure, but... Um, you mean to the bar? To, 
yeah, to the bar, but you know. Um, so, so let me ask you the guys, this, you hear the news reports or you see the newspaper clippings, Jake, do you stay or do you go? And is there a trigger that either makes you want to hunker down <laughs> um, or be prepared? Or are you just going to ignore the, the news and continue on your merry way? I'd probably leave. <laughs> You'd leave. If it was that serious and it was that close and the person and the perpetrator was still at large. And I'd be like, all right, well, we're just going to see if we can get a rebate back on this um, for extenuating circumstances, pick my <laughs> stuff up and leave. Yeah. Yeah. Carrie, what about you? I would also leave, but I would also look for something to fight on my way out. I'd be ready. Just in case the car breaks down on your way out. Not even the car, <laughs> just in case some random you I know, see. prowler comes out. I'd end up, yeah. Yeah. Doing some damage to somebody. Maybe not even. So uh, I'll just answer this really quickly. <clears throat> Mine differs a little bit. Uh, it's kind of the same. I mean, not really a big difference. I mean, I would like to have the Paul and Ginny set up where they've got their own little cabin, not that far from the main lodge. You get the privacy, but you've got all the fun stuff with everybody else right next door. Uh, Jake, I, I think if you and I happen to be there together, I wouldn't mind sharing the cooking duties with you. Um, <laughs> especially since you got to tell me all about that chup, chup, what is it? The chupacabra seasoning. Oh, chupacabra you got dry rub. Yeah, yeah. My buddy, uh, Danny turned me on to that. And wow. Um, what I'm, I've kind of become a barbecue sauce sommelier. <laughs> I was at the grocery store a couple weeks ago and I saw this younger couple looking for a barbecue sauce. And they were trying to get the barbecue sauce. I was closest way to get at McDonald's for some reason. Mm. And I told her, okay, then you want kind of a, a Kansas City sauce or something that's very dark, has a lot of brown sugar and molasses in it. And I said, you'd want this. However, if you want to avoid high fructose corn syrup, pick up this. But whenever I make my barbecue sauce, I don't really make it, but I'll get Heinz Original. And Stubbs Spicy. So Heinz Original is a good Kansas City sauce. Thick and dark and sweet. The um, Stubbs Spicy is a great Texas sauce. You know, lighter, runnier, peppier, hotter. Mix those two together and take a huge dash of Chupacabra Dry Rub. Mix that in. And there's Jake's sauce. I actually see you right now in this movie giving this big long speech about the sauce and like i've like good thing you went to the store before you head to the crystal lake because i don't think the convenience store at crystal lake is going to have everything you want <clears throat> yeah well that, that, that's a good one yeah um so <clears throat> i think what would happen for me i just like i i you don't see this in friday the 13th everybody's running for their lives um, I would like to see a Friday the 13th where people hole up, you know, what if there is the Friday the 13th during a winter blizzard and you've got to board yourself up like night of the living dead, um, where you kind of don't have any choice, you know, you've got nowhere to go. You're going to, you're going to freeze in the elements that that's a thought, but in terms of, let's just say this, I, I would probably, it depends on the scenario, but. I'd like to think that I could board up and somehow survive the night, but uh, 
Maybe that's also why I wouldn't. You guys are smarter than I. <laughs> Don't answer that question. <laughs> Honey. What? If it was me and you, we'd be leaving. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, yeah, we'd all pile in Jeff's Bronco and yep. get the hell out of Dodge. Okay. Yep. <laughs> just, uh, just keep driving and, you know, uh, Jason can run fast, but he can't run that fast. <laughs> so, Jake, can you pick a favorite death and effect from each movie? Each movie? All right. Okay. First movie, um, this one is hard because there's no standout. There's no 10 on a 10, 10 out of 10 kill for that one for me. But part two has a whole bunch of like 7.8s and a lot of 8.3s. Let's see here. I think think the, the wheelchair kill is really good. I think the spear through the bed is really good. I think I'll probably have to go for the wheelchair kill just because it, just the brutality of it. <laughs> yeah. And and you said earlier that was, what type of machete was that? That looked to be a cane machete. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And Cause that's always on yeah. both sides. Yeah. So that's been like a big thing. Like why would he get killed with the backside of the machete? So I'm glad you, specified that because that that's my favorite kill from two and <clears throat> i always just thought like oh that's just like a, ru- a weird flub up so that that's good to know um now how about 3d um 3d um like i said um i think um the jason with the spear spear gun because that's the first kill of his that you see with him having the mask on yeah you get him in full frame you know head to head to head to Head to head to toe, and he just takes Catherine Parks out. I gotcha. thought that was pretty damn good. Now, what about um, final chapter? I know that that's your favorite Friday. So, is there is there one that is it a kill yes. that put it over the top for you? Yes, 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 yes. This is arguably the reason why this is my favorite. Um, and you guys level with me here on this. There's a rhythm, very much to a slasher movie that you don't have so much in the other horror movies. It's kind of like a dance and it's the twins death. The one inside the house, you know, she thinks she hears something behind her. She turns around and then she thinks she hears something to the window. Then she goes to the window. Then she turns around and she thinks it's something behind her. And she looks back inside and the camera cuts back to the window. And the dance tells you if she's looking out the window, it's going to come up from behind her. But no, this time they pull a fast one on you. And Jason pulls her through the window and throws her out the window. This was the only scene in any one of any of the Friday the 13th movies that made me jump. Yeah, I'm trying to think back whenever I first saw that scene, but and the way that he raises his arms out. It's just, it, it was such an odd flow to it, but it, 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 it does catch you off guard. It's yeah. not, it's definitely does not play out how you think it's going to. Um, Carrie, what about you? It's, it's your turn to pick some of your favorites here from the three. So in part two, for me, it's in the shack with Jenny where she tricks Jason to think that she is mummy. So it's really the severed head on the table with the candles and shrine. 
Jenny's talking as if she's Mrs. Voorhees and he's actually seeing his mom's face. I really enjoy the psychological effect. Okay, that's good because we we are talking death and effects. So are you, is that leading into Jason's supposed death? Yeah. Being your favorite when he's laying in there? She's tricking him and using her psychology to like catch him off guard. And the way that they shoot that where Jason, I'm just piggybacking yours, where they shoot him raising the pickaxe as she's raising the machete and coming down on him at the same time. I, I do like that one. How about um, 3D? So I love the moments in the barn with the motorcycle gang, specifically Loco's death with the pitchfork. You know, he feels the front and the back side of his body. And he just reaches around and touches in the back part of it. And, you know, it, it's impaled him and he's coming to the realization like, Oh shit. You know what actually sells that for me? Isn't there like a cigarette kind of half hanging out of his mouth whenever that happens to Yeah. Is it like so casual about it the way he reaches around? What about final chapter? So the final scene where Tommy kills Jason, you know, right before Tommy hacks away, Jason falls and his head slides on the machete. It just, for me, yeah. I, I love that ending scene. Yeah. Yeah. I, I already said that Mark's death, is my favorite um, in part two, the wheelchair death with the machete. Uh, actually in 3d Jason's supposed death is my favorite. Um, the lead up to it, the maniacal joy and the relentlessness emotes so well from the face they used for, for Jason. And then of course, just the, the hanging, then the ax to the face. I, I just like the whole energy of that final fight. And I'm actually going with Jimbo's death. I just like Ted's. Where's the corkscrew? Corkscrew goes to the hand, be yeah. favored to the face. That That's that one's like one. a nice one-two punch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With um, with two and four, I really think the kills in there are all really good. It's just four had that one that just hit that other higher gear for me. Yeah, yeah, and I and you touched on the meanness of Jason. Um, and the way that has changed from part two. And as I said, like it goes from get the hell off my lawn to, uh, I'm really fucking mad and I'm really going to take joy in this. Uh, so what about rating Jake? How, how would you rate each one of these, you know, two, three D and final chapter out of five? Oh, that's, that's rough. I'd probably say that, um, Put four stars for part two, uh, three and a half for part three, and five stars for part four. Wow. Okay. Carrie, what about you? So for me, part two is a four and a half. Uh, It's my favorite, and I love the story and the character development. Part three, for me, is, is a three. Um, I do not like 3D, again, because it, it makes me physically sick, you know, for some reason. And I just don't care enough about the characters in Part 3. Mm. But may I ask you this, though, Carrie? Um, does, but but the fact that, let's say you take the 3D aspect out of it, does that make you enjoy the movie less? Uh, no, it doesn't make me enjoy the movie less, but it's, for me the character development is not 
as strong. Okay. And I, I just, can see that. Yeah. 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 And for final chapter, it's a three and a half. Um, it's slightly better than three, but I still love part two the most. Well, my only question to that is, well, if part two is your favorite, what present, what prevents that from being a five star? Um, I think I'm really, I'm really stingy with my five stars. Um, it has to be like, for me, a perfect movie. Mm. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I'll wrap things up for this episode, folks, with uh, my rating here and the official DFM rating. I am giving two is getting a four and a half for me. And I will answer that question, Jake, about why doesn't it get the perfect. Um, I'm going to uh, bring this full circle with one. We started the episode off saying they are asking the audience a lot Mm -hmm. as to put two and two together as to how this is plausible. And so that thin part that you mentioned at the start of the episode, Oh, that is why it does. It's a half star. I, it's a good thing. I love almost 95% of everything else in this. I could argue if I was forced to give a second reason, you brought up the kills are not, I would argue are not as even special effects wise as good as Savini's in the original or 4.5. And in fact, or excuse me, four. And in fact, we all know the double spear is Bay of Blood. So that's kind of a copycat. Oh, uh, dude, there's a lot of stuff that's yeah. been taken from Bay of Blood. There's yeah. a lot of stuff that's been taken from uh, Profondo Rosso, aka Deep Red. But the other kills, I think, in Friday the 13th Part 2 are really, really good. Yeah. Because you got to remember, um, larger cast, larger potential body count. Therefore, they had to get more creative. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, three gets a three and a half for me. So, Jake, you and I are on par with that rating. And then final chapter, I'm giving it a four. I I do love it more than three. Um, That one is an improvement in performances over the third. Um, Actually, I I rated the original a four as well. I enjoyed just as much as that. Two holds the special place for me, so that's why it's the highest rated. What that does is, and I know this is kind of a statistical oddity here because there's three of us rating it, but for the hell of it, For our uh, Halloween 25A366 month, part two, the overall DFM rating is going to be four and one third star skull splitting axes. 3D gets three and a third skull splitting axes or meat cleavers or spears. (laughs) (laughs) And final chapter gets an even odder 4.16 stars. (laughs) If we're getting down to decimal points here. Good Lord. Okay. Yeah. So (laughs) this is really like IMDB rating territory here. Yeah. So uh, that, that does it for the 1984 
Crystal Lake Massacre trilogy. Bottom line, this is a labor of love, and we're going to do this no matter what. This is too much fun. This is too fulfilling. But, you know, if we could, he could send us a little love because we would love for this to be our to be our moneymaker. We would love for this to be our careers. <laughs> Hell yeah. But, uh, but if you can, if you can, and if you, and if you want to hear more of us, well, you know, money's a good motivator people. So if you can, <laughs> and, uh, for those of you out there listening who still, um, we got a lot more ground to cover with Friday the 13th. And I've let, let it be known to case that I was very apprehensive about, doing parts two, three, and four in one episode, because like I said, this to me is the heart of the series. So what I will be doing as the Midnight Traveler, I will go ahead at some future point in time, um, give you guys full letters for part two, part three, and part four about my first experience, where I'll delve into this just a little more. And see if maybe there's a few stones that I can still unturn for you guys if you need more of a Voorhees fix. Well, we appreciate that, Jake. And uh, I also know that uh, whoever's listening, pretty soon we're going to have some bonus audio from Jake, your experience going to see Friday the 13th recently. And um, Midnight Traveler goes to the movies. And then I do get it much sooner than you think. Yeah, and I know that uh, we've got some planning going on for seasons two and three. So I know that uh, we are not done with Jason Voorhees. And in future seasons, we'll finally dive into the different Tommies uh, that they would not allow me to talk about in this episode. <laughs> hey, we Anyways. Not in these movies. Yeah, you're just getting ahead of us. We talked about the one. <laughs> you know, but when we get to the rest of them, you know, yes, we will, we will get there. We will get their case. Just be, be patient. You know, one of these days we'll get that three hour episode. <laughs> Just messing. No, with you. no, no. Uh, uh, no, I, th- uh, uh, um, if we're not careful, we might get that three hour episode in the next couple of weeks. Wink, wink, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Sounds like you like to party, maybe? And oh, yeah. It's party okay. time. Okay. Well, I mean, this is I the think... way of life. It's not a costume. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, next week, before that episode, next week, we are going to go back to our regularly scheduled format, and we're going to talk John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness in episode 36. And then in episode 37, we've got Jake, is this your favorite zombie movie we're going to be talking about? Uh, I think I'd have to say I don't think it's the best, but I do think it's my favorite. Um, It's the one I have the closest personal connection to. And boy, are you going to get a lot of bonus content out of this. I just want to make sure that you two guys get, get your words in on it as well. But this one goes deep. This one goes very, 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 very deep. And for once, I took Jake and Carrie's better judgment. We are not going to talk about Return of the Living Dead 2. We are going to give ample time, space, and consideration to just the Return of the Living Dead. 
And guys, that about wraps it up for this week. Love you, DFM fam. Peace out. All right. See you next midnight. Oh, oh.